so thankful for uh, our musicians and all who took part in the service today, from the prelude right to the last song, which I requested, one of my favorite spirituals, Sweet Little Jesus Boy. Uh, everything fits so well what we're trying to do on this first Sunday of the new year. So thanks to everyone who participated in our worship time today. It's good to have you here too, but please join me in prayer first. Oh Lord, help us to see Jesus, not mortal man. Help us to hear your words, not the words of a mere human. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing your work in this hour. Amen. So special greetings to you all on this first Sunday of the new year. Uh, I was to preach on the last Sunday of the old year, so I'm kind of stuck in a rut in between. But anyway, I trust you've experienced God's joy and, and peace in spite of the kind of unusual circumstances of this, this uh, new year. There's no hiding how difficult the last year has been. Last week, a Christian editor described the 2020 soup, I'll call it, this way. Looking back, it's hard to recall a year more fraught with gut-wrenching distress. Mix a global pandemic killing close to two million with racial upheaval. A bizarro U.S. presidential election season and economic turbulence. Pour in never-ending conflicts in places like Afghanistan and Yemen. Stir and warm over a planet heating up year after year. And you have the makings of a grim uh, apocalyptic view, or apocalyptic stew is what he said. Well, closer to home. It's been such a trying year for those who have lost loved ones and friends for many who have faced illness themselves or their family members, for parents and children grappling with challenges at work and scheduling and schooling, for institutions and businesses struggling to stay afloat, and for healthcare workers on the front lines. Just separation has been so hard. And a lot of our pain and exhaustion is simply from the uncertainty of what lies ahead. Where do we go from here? Well, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I believe God is calling his church to something far superior than just normal. True disciples of Jesus can emerge from the wounds and the waiting of 2020 and enter the healing and hope and the kingdom service of 2021 and beyond by seeing Jesus anew and reaffirming our faith in Christ, the risen Savior and the coming King. To get here, let's go back to the longings and disappointed of a devoted Jew two millennia ago waiting for a word from God after 400 years of ignominy and suppression under foreign powers. And then let's also imagine the confusion and disappointment of two believers on a road outside of Jerusalem after the devastating weekend in which their hoped-for Messiah was crucified and their dreams of deliverance were crushed. 
We'll look at the bookends, both bookends of the book of the Gospel of Luke on this first Sunday. I think we have a license to combine a Luke chapter 2 Christmas mes- uh, passage with a Luke chapter 24 resurrection narrative. Brennan Manning, in his little book, The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus, says, the Christmas story was written in the light of post-Easter faith. The infancy narratives in Luke would be dismissed as just quaint stories if it weren't for the resurrection. If he is risen, the long dream of Israel has come true and the messianic era has erupted into history. So first, let's go to the first part of the book of Luke, chapter two, starting from verse 22, the little story which even was mentioned some during our Advent season of faithful Simeon. Forty days after his birth, Mary and Joseph returned to the temple of Jerusalem with baby Jesus to consecrate their firstborn son to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice for the purification of Mary. There they ran into faithful and devout Simeon, who was waiting for the consolation or the deliverance of Israel, the coming Messiah. By the prompting of God's spirit, when Simeon saw the baby in her arms, he knew this was the promised one. Almost incognito, God had invaded the world. Taking the infant in his arms, Simeon cried out in praise, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people, Israel. Ever since the return from Babylon, the Jews had remained in a state of kind of limbo, waiting for the expected Messiah. Simeon declares the long wait is over. His eyes were open to see the savior of the nations. How did Jews handle that long wait for 400 years? According to N.T. Wright in the book, The Challenge of Jesus, Rediscovering the Jesus Who Was and Is, there were three basic responses, all illustrated on the road down from Jericho to Masada. First, there were the quietists who separate themselves from the wicked world and wait for God to do whatever God is going to do, like the Essenes, the Qumran Dead Sea Scroll folks. And then there were the compromisers who get along with their political bosses as well as they can, do as well out of it as they can, and hope that God will validate it somehow, like Herod and the the fortress builder and, and his cronies. And then there were the zealots who say their prayers, sharpen their swords, make themselves holy to fight a holy war, and God will give them a military victory That will also be a theological victory of good over evil, of God over the hordes of darkness, of the Son of Man over the monsters, like the radical Sikari at Masada and his uh, admirers throughout Palestine. Hmm. Three choices. But Simeon seems to have chosen a fourth option, 
a true believer who held out hope that God's promises for salvation expressed by the prophets, like Isaiah, were going to come true and in his own lifetime. He waited in faith until he saw baby Jesus, the deliverer, the savior of the nations. He even grasped, as we read further down in the later verses in that chapter, the stern implications of what would involve, what would be involved with Jesus, his suffering, his crucifixion. This child will cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. This sweet little baby, whom Jesus, who, whom few recognized, would be the crucified and risen savior of the world. What about us? Does seeing and knowing Jesus relieve the pain of waiting, the wondering, the longings for God to act? He has acted. Christians today may be getting stuck on one of those first three options, just like the Jews, as we face the frustrations of 2020, withdrawing into quiet despair, compromising with cultural waves of the day, or sharpening our sword to fight bitter wars against ideological enemies. I pray we embrace the fourth option. Be courageous believers with faith and trust in the God of Scripture, our eyes on the King of Kings, Jesus, following his example on how to live. Okay, let's fast forward to the end of the book of Luke, chapter 24, which you heard in our scripture reading. 33 years later, another eye-opening experience with two disciples outside Jerusalem on Easter Sunday morning or afternoon. These devoted followers of Jesus are shuffling de dejectedly back home and discussing that devastating festival weekend in Jerusalem. When probed by an unknown walking companion, they stop and suddenly recall Jesus of Nazareth being a prophet, powerful in word indeed, and deed. They admit their doubts and disappointment. We had hoped that he would, was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had hoped. Sound familiar? We had hoped the pandemic would be over by now. We had hoped we would be all together at Christmas. We had hoped America would get out of the political funk it's in. We had hoped for better news around the globe. We had hoped the forces against our faith would fail. I think a lot of Christians have fallen into the same frame of mind. We had hoped. What was it about Jesus that raised the hopes of those first century disciples during the previous three years? I took a quick scan through John's gospel to get a partial picture of what they saw. If you'll fasten your seatbelts, I'm gonna run really quick through the gospel of John. Hop, skip, and jump. Just listen. John the Baptist cried out, look, see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Philip tells Nathaniel, come and see, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The woman at the well exclaims, I see you are a prophet. And then to her villagers, she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Jesus said to the blind man, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? 
Tell me so that I might believe in him. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. At Lazarus' grave, Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? When Jesus rode so recently into Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Some Greeks were in Jerusalem, and they came with a request. We want to see Jesus. What followed was what was, uh, Jesus explained. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should be in darkness. And further, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus prays for his followers. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. So John summed it all up in his preface. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, friends, to see Jesus more clearly, to love him more dearly, to follow him more nearly. I know it's an old song. (laughs) That's what we need today. That's exactly what we need today. Okay, meanwhile, back on the road to Emmaus. They reached their destination, and like hospitable Middle Easterners, our two disciples invited their stranger in for a little food and rest. And then it happened. Jesus took the bread. He blessed it, broke it, and handed it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened. They recognized him, Jesus, the risen Lord and the Messiah. There he was full of grace and truth and resurrection glory, and then gone. (laughs) They jump up from the table, and with recharged energy, they hightailed it back seven miles to Jerusalem. I picture them racing along the road, panting, reviewing how amazing it was when the Lord opened the scriptures up to them on the road. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I'd love to have been in in on that seminary course, and there's so much we could say about that because we really have a lot of that teaching in our New Testament, in the Gospels, in the Book of Acts, in the sermons, and in the epistles. But for these two, and for the 11 plus they ran back to in Jerusalem, for the 120 in the upper room, for the more than 500 who saw the risen Lord, for for the whole early church, life would never be the same. They had seen the risen Lord. And you read about it in the book of Acts chapter 2. Hope was not only restored, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit and it ignited into action. They worshiped, they broke bread, they listened to the apostles' teaching, they shared with others, they proclaimed the good news. And in spite of misunderstanding and persecution and trials, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would turn the world upside down instead of the world turning them upside down, except to crucify some of them. Following their master's example of love and compassion 
and proclaiming the message of salvation. So, there you have it. This is where the rubber meets our Emmaus Road. Plodding from 2020 into 2021, maybe tired of waiting, likely discouraged, quite puzzled. What's next for our complicated world? Can others see Jesus through our words and actions? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. From these incidents, I can see maybe five ways, probably a lot more. The future, how we should face the future with our eyes on Jesus. Seeing Jesus anew, we are called to wait. Why? Because Jesus fulfills God's promise. He's God's cosmic plan for humanity. He models for us when he gets here of patience and suffering. As we saw with Simeon, the Jews waited centuries for the Messiah's arrival. For the disciples, there were hours of anxiety before the resurrection, and the church is still waiting for Christ's second coming. These last 10 months have been trying times. We are COVID-weary. But just for an example, I know something about. A few years ago, I was in Sierra Leone and uh, revisited after our first time there and met with my brother, S.D. Kanu. I've talked about him before. Just a couple weeks ago, I wrote to him and I asked him, about his time of isolation and hiding. And it was exactly 10 months that he hid in his small village of Mabonkani, 10 miles from the capital where the rebels were roaming with their machine guns. It was too dangerous to venture anywhere outside of his village for fear of contacting the ruthless roaming rebels and be subjected to cruel and inhumane treatment, demanding cash or property, demanding your shoes, the clothes on your back. He was stripped and beaten several times. Plus, there was the prospect of forced conscription into the rebel ranks as a fighter. He writes, we were cut off from the outside world except for one BBC uh, broadcast on a little villager's shortwave radio. Our normal foods such as rice, potatoes, fish, meat, chicken, bread, cooking oil, onions, salt, sugar, ran out in a month. We substituted cassava for rice and fished in fresh, the freshwater streams and trapped wild animals. The experience of confinement was so stressful, more so because we didn't know when this war was going to end. Psalm 34:18 brought great encouragement and hope to me. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit, he writes. I asked the Lord to deliver me like the psalmist cries out, and the answer was no. So we had to wait 10 long months in hiding. And there are many more stories like this. Christians, as we look to Jesus, can we wait this thing out without complaining and whining? Why? Because we know the promised one has come. A second thing I think seeing Jesus anew we are called to is to be wise and wary. Simeon didn't fall into the snares of despair in his day. 
There were plenty of blinding worldly causes and agendas out there, just like there are today. The church's job is not about defending our religious rights or the political promises of either party or either side, right or left. We are called to kingdom service so that when Jesus shows up, he won't miss us or we won't miss him. He says, will I find faith on the earth? So we march to a beat of a much bigger drum. <laughs> He's the Messiah, the Savior, the hope of the world. There's no greater cause. I think we need to wise up to that. I think a third thing is seeing Jesus anew, we are called to wake up as he is our guide to truth. There were rumors flying around Jerusalem that weekend about the disciples hiding Jesus' body, about the guards taking bribes and all that. Our two and the rest knew the truth. He was alive, they had seen him. So many today are being sucked into untruth. We have a crisis of truth. I have an older brother. He'll squirm when he hears this. But I listen to him about it as much as anybody in the din today. He wrote me, the other pandemic we're just figuring out. Call it the Pontius Pilate disease, a crisis of truth and trust. Pilate sarcastically asked, what is the truth? While ultimate truth was standing there in front of him. Issues of our day are eating away our foundations. What can I believe? Whom can I trust? How do I respond? Well, start with Jesus. He's the truth. Stay clear of spurious causes, self-promoting voices. Guard truth. Spend more time in the word of God. Get in a small group and study the Bible together. There are a few of us that want to start really doing intense discipleship, getting to know Jesus better and applying him to our lives in the days and months ahead. So this is what we need to do and how we need to respond when we see Jesus. Well, a fourth way, seeing Jesus anew, we are called to work and witness for the kingdom following Jesus' example and commands again. When we see Jesus, we hear him, love your neighbor, go into all the world and make disciples. What an example he was and the example of the early church. Love God, love others, spread the good news. There are greater things to do than the small things we often try to do. And that's because we follow the model of Jesus and his service. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit that he gave us. So that's another one of our tasks today. And I think it involves sacrifice and witness. People are not going to see and recognize Jesus except through us. Now more than ever is the church's time to let our lights shine in our communities and in our neighborhoods, in our nation and in the world. I've saved the best till last. I think seeing Jesus anew, we worship Christ wholeheartedly. We're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us. 
We are feeling the loss of corporate worship. I'm speaking to four or five people here in the church empty. But boy, we sure have enjoyed the outdoor services. And as Pastor West said, the, the Christmas Eve, to see so many together, even in very simple worship, lifting up a few choruses and uh, Christmas carols, what a delight that was. But I appreciated when uh, I saw on Facebook one of our great Wesleyan preachers remind us, we need this reminding, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And we have worshiped by streaming video in our home, and you can do it with your family or with maybe a small group. We don't need to give up worship. In fact, it's what we do as Christians, because he is the King of Kings. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Messiah. He is the coming King. There's so much to delight in. So I just challenge us to look forward to that day. You can break bread with two or three, but I know that when we break bread together again, all together, I think we're gonna have a new idea of what worship is. And I hope we go to new heights, new delight in being together as Christians. So folks, I wanted to begin, or excuse me, end the year last couple of weeks ago, I guess it was last week, the old, for last Sunday of uh, December, with a little boost. And I told Amanda, we're gonna end with the Hallelujah Chorus. Well, we've had to make it the beginning of the new year. Why the Hallelujah Chorus? because he is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he's our coming King. It's Jesus that will lift us as we see him and worship him and praise him to new, new heights in 2021 and beyond. God bless you as we share in this 2018 recording in our church of the Hallelujah Chorus.
Do you see Jesus? Do you see him anew? There's not much more to say after that except glory be to God. He's our risen, coming king. Go and serve him in 2021 in a new way. Amen.